You are tuned in to Season 2, Episode 4 of Talk So Real with Matt Sanzala. And I'm Matt Sanzala, and I have a very special guest in the studio today, tonight, whenever you happen to be listening. All the guests here are special, because like I say, on a Talk So Real basis, I just want to talk to my friends, man, my people. I'm not looking for uh, the publicist calls. I don't need any of that. I need to just talk to my people doing dope things in the world. And we've got Lance Scott Walker in the house. Thanks for having me. Hell, man. Happy Friday. Uh, happy Friday. And uh, the list goes on and on, but, but you're known, and I'm sure people are tuning into this podcast because you did the Houston Rap Tapes book, and two editions, and uh, we are anxiously awaiting. They are wa- I have it. Fuck y'all. No, they are waiting. <laughs> um, not fuck y'all. I love y'all. Um, on the new DJ Screw book. It's called A Life in Slow Revolution. And uh, I'm going to start the podcast off. I've already said this to you before, I'm sure. But I'm going to start the podcast off telling you the same thing I told Julia Beverly when she was doing the Pimp C book. Which was? You're fucking crazy. Yeah. (laughs) You are crazy. But I'm not finished, but I'm about half. Yeah, I'm more than halfway. And uh, again, man, like my favorite, when it comes to music books, I'm harsh. Mm-hmm. I like this. I am very, I, I read music books and I'm just like, I can't read, I, I can't read music journalism anymore, to be honest with you. Because it's, because it's too thorny and the, the, just too much, the, it's too much about them being excited about the, not really talking about the music, but maybe just more like something that they trying to get off their chest. There is a lot of that for sure. Um, but like, I, you know, I've read books where I'm just like, no, no, no or whatever. Right, you know what I mean? Right. I'm like, People like dressing it up too much. Yeah, that's what what I'm saying. The the writing's just too sticky. Like, I don't need it to be this sticky. Move move through it. Uh, Man, I love oral histories. I have the big oral history of metal over there on the bookshelf Uh right behind you. I have um, Please Kill Me, Mm -hmm. you know, books like this. And those are like, you can't deny them, really. Please Kill Me is just such a classic. Like, every... Every quote, every yeah. page, like it, that, that play, that, that's just, that book is wall to wall. So you're less crazy than Julia in the sense that you did a lot of great writing in here. Like this is a, this is a mix of your writing, your journalism and your, your art with, uh, that oral history from other people. Um, there's not much you can deny about it. Cause I'm for murder dog. That's why I wrote for a lot of rap magazines and things. And I kind of hated dealing with the editing process and all those things. And when I got with Murder Dog, it was just all interviews. Mm-hmm. And we just typed it up the way it was said. Yeah. And yeah. that's that. And that's what you do with Houston rap tapes, too, is like a big Murder Dog, honestly, like of Houston. Mm-hmm. Like very verbatim. Yeah, yeah. Which I like that. But like, you can't deny it. Like, okay, well, he said the wrong thing. That's what he said, man. That's what's going down. That's what they're talking about. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean you still have to fact check your book and things, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. You, you got to, you know... You got to try to get a sense of what's true as you go along. Yeah. And sometimes you get kind of crazy stories that sort of orbit that. But, you know, you have um, to for this book, I'm going to say sometimes is an understatement. Mm-hmm. Talking to all them people about DJ Screw. Yeah. You're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. And I'm so happy you did it because he deserves it. He does deserve it. He deserves the real look. And I mean, to be honest, um, I want to talk to you about how your process with this because 
you and I both have been in this a long time. We've talked to a lot of people. We've heard a lot of stories. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to say, I know for sure, you got a lot of conflicting information from people. Oh, yeah. People have their own memory. And memory is subjective. It is. It is. It's watery. It's, and when you're on things and things, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, that doesn't help. But That's true. Tell me... Um, First of all, of course, Eastern Rap Taste was real cool and successful and all that, but I know you were thinking about this before. I mean, maybe not before, yeah. but while oh, you yeah. were doing all you were since, you were you knew you were gonna do this book. Um since two thousand eight. Yeah. Yeah. That's when the first that's when I first said something about it to somebody in the SUC. Mm-hmm. Like as in like have you have you ever heard of anybody talking about doing a book? You know, because it, it was more that I wanted to ask around first, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. I didn't want to just run out and say, I'm doing this book. But the idea, like the seed germinated in my head. I first remember, you know, it coming together like it was going to be something in like 2008 mm-hmm. in my head. What year did Houston Rap Tapes come out, the first well, one? Well, much later than that, 2013. Yeah, 13, yeah. yeah. I knew, so, I knew but it was, eight. yeah, so, you know, it was, so I, that was, you know, me working on tandem, in tandem on them. Well, I mean, you were talking to the, the people. We were talking you to were the talking same to people. Them, yeah, know? exactly. And so, and the, you know, the idea came about because of those interviews and what people were saying about them, how they talked about them. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I say this all the time. And I, I even said, I, the episode three with Babu Blakes, we talked about um, certain things, you know, a bunch of things. And I said, you know, I personally feel like DJ Screw is the biggest tragedy in hip hop culture, man. The death, mm-hmm. his his early death, I mean, every death sucks and is a tragedy in in one way or another. And, and yeah, it sucks that we lost Biggie and Pac and Mac Dre and really important people and everyone in the music, you know, so many f- personal friends. Yeah, and bigger, but like, what Screw missed, <sighs> unbelievable. Because when Screw was alive. There was a lot of supporters, of course. He had his his fan base and things, but there was a lot of deniers that existed, myself included. I'm not a super screwhead to be. I, I I'm a screwhead. Out of I respect him, mm-hmm. love it. But like, and I've listened to lots of screw tapes, but I don't sit around jam a screw all day. It's just <laughs> not what I. I mean, I enjoy it for what it, I think it's in very interesting experimental music from Houston. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's definitely experimental for sure. Yeah, and I'm very I'm into it. I'm not like a super big screwhead, but I oh, respect the hell out of him. But I think about like, man, the 2000s mm-hmm. and what happened. Yeah. But, but because, slowed because down of music him. Yeah. because of him, man. And mm-hmm. him missing that. God, it's just, it's depressing kind of, man. Like not kind of, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And what people miss because he's gone, you know, what, yep. what, what could have been of a lot of careers probably. Yep. You know, exactly different things that would have happened if he was still around. Yeah. Like for example, I could have traveled to every country on the planet, taking his ass on mm-hmm. tour, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm selfish. No, yeah. But no, seriously, no doubt. No you kidding me, man? He, wouldn't, he probably wouldn't have gone, but you could have. I mean, <laughs> well, if he, you know, he'd, he'd have to leave to, the house. He'd have had to do some things to get to that, um, that, that chance anyway. But, but who knows, you know, you never like, know. When, I don't know. Yeah. When he passed, he had different plans in mind, you know? I mean, shit, if I called DJ Screw and was like, you got $10,000 mm-hmm. for the the weekend in Paris, Amsterdam, and London, let's go. Right, right. You know, could have been a different phase of his career. It would have been something, man. It would have been yeah. real, man. Like, And uh, 
but there, but that's the that's the smallest thing. Mm-hmm. Like to think about just the you know this me this slowed down music is in major commercials on television. Yeah, like, like it's uh, not and on every record. Yeah, and so you know, like, would he have taken on any other technology? You know, and what would he have done with it? Would he yep. have finally added a, like a CD DJ? You know, unit mm, would, at some point. I would bet. he would he would he just you know brought a tape deck as as part of you know a live setup? You know, would would he ever have fucked mm. with anything digital? You know, I'd like to think I he wouldn't. Know. Yeah, I like to think so too. I yeah. bet he would, but I, yeah. I don't know, man. There's I nothing mean, for like, sure, but I, I I I that's why it's such an interesting question because like you know what. If he was going to use anything, anything different, what Man, would he do? That opens a whole wormhole of thoughts and questions because, yeah. like, the warmth of that cassette and vinyl combination is not, it can't be done on digital. It can't be done on not digital. Not even close, but it's, it's cool. I, I listen to lots of um, MP3s and things. From uh-huh. I can't say I'm not doing that, but, like, yeah. you can't. I'll tell you this. When I first, um, I don't know if it was 10 years, I don't know what year it was, but. When I got my like, I got the you know the old school receiver and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I got the, my my stereo together, yeah. turntable and stuff, analog. You know, mm-hmm. and um, I finally you know what? Because I, I went some years without a turntable. You know, back in the two thousands or whatever, I had my you know. And then I got it all set up again, got my stereo proper, put on a record, and was like, I had like just revelations. Yeah, the feeling in my chest. You know, mm-hmm. like it was right. like. God, I haven't felt this like you know physically in so long. Like it's it's a, and that's the the warmth of a screw tape can't be, right, right, matched. and because it's not just tape, but right? It's, it's eighth inch tape, you know. It's eighth inch tape. It's not like you know quarter inch tape on a reel, you know. That's a specific thing. You know what that, is eighth inch tape? High well, bias? No, I'm just saying it's a it's a cassette tape. Cassette, okay. Could, you know, it's oh right, 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 which right, is yeah, actually small, you yeah. know, which is even smaller than that. Yeah. You know, because you're only using half of it. Well, I guess it, when you when you go, um, you know, with four tracks, you're using yeah. the whole thing. Gotcha. But Damn. that in particular, his sound is printing on that, and That's then true. He, and then he prints it again on the other tape. So it's two generations already before you you know before you get your dub. You know, he's got the so, master, he's got the master cassette. He's printing his sound onto the master, right? Onto the Max L. And then, then he takes that and with the pitch control, he, he makes a dub. And then more, more than likely takes that as a master, not the master master, mm-hmm. more than likely probably took a, a one cassette right there and then made all ripped all the other ones from that one. Because otherwise, you know, you're, you're you know, your original four track or eight track cassette, you know, it's playing slow, you know, it stretches out the tape. It's a different, the way it prints on that tape is a little mm-hmm. different. So you don't want to run them all off from that because you'll wear it out. Right. That's your original. Where I, ha- I have one of those. What? Yeah. Who has the rest? I don't know. Oh, you just don't want them to get robbed. I have one of the four track ones. <laughs> I have one, oh, the one for man. Dundeal. Wow. Yeah. You need to make that an NFT, dog. <laughs> 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 no. That's amazing. That, see... Mm. I was at Piranha Records recently. Mm-hmm. And they've got some of his records for sale. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. Yeah, like his own. Yeah, he bought them from Big Bob John. Yeah, did. yeah, man. Uh huh. I love that shop. I'm Me going too. there in um, in uh, June when I come. I got a tour where I'm coming back. I, I'm doing two tours here. May and almost June. all of it in Texas. Yeah, May right after the book comes out, and then in um, June I'm going. Um, I'll be at Piranha on the 24th of June. 
Oh, like a man. Friday night. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. It's a great. It's a great shop. Old school. It's a real vinyl shop. Very yeah. old CD. You know yeah. the urban head shop. shop. Head everything. Yeah. It's dope. We went out there. We actually coincidentally we went out there for Michael Watts in store recently for his box set. And did people show up? Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. People totally showed up. Awesome, awesome. Like diehards. Yeah. They were in Yeah, it. I did an event there for Houston Rap Tapes. Mm. Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. Hmm. Was that the same time that we did the one at... Uh, at the... French shop. Something Custom. culture, yeah. Complete culture. Complete culture, yeah. yeah. Good guys. Explain. That was a good shop. I don't, I don't know if it's still open. No. Nope. No, not there. It's not there at that spot. Yeah. I drive by it almost every day. I think I was told that. That's why I was saying that. Yeah. Good guys, though. Yep. Yeah. That was fun. So tell me about this process. Like, this couldn't have been, this is, this took you nine years, 10 years, more? I mean. You said you thought about it in, in I, 08. I was, I was doing the groundwork for it for right. years. Years mm-hmm. and years I was putting down the groundwork. I was building the library, mm-hmm. you know, because you got to do that first. That's the way I saw this book. I was like, you have to, you have to build a library first. Mm-hmm. And then you make the book from the library. But I knew that I needed to talk to everybody I could. And, um, you know, that's not easy. Mm-mm. They don't always want to talk. The concept of a book is a far off idea for some people, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you don't want to talk to somebody for, you know, on camera for, for something live, it's a different kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, you know, you, so it takes time, you know, you don't always get to everybody immediately. Sometimes right. it takes a little time, you build that library. So, but I didn't actually start forming a book until maybe 2015. Okay. Mm-hmm. 2014, 2015, something like that. But it's Thank been a while. You. It's been a minute. But yeah. I've been working with that, the, the kind of the shape and structure of the book. University of Texas Press picked it up, but you were working on this far in advance of having a deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Way in and, and then even after I went to them, mm-hmm. you know, to see, because you know Roger Wood? Yes, he, he I, wrote, who, I don't know him personally. Yeah, so he wrote he wrote down in Houston, the, mm-hmm. you know, the Bayou City Blues book, and then he yep. wrote uh, Texas Zydeco, yep. and he wrote um, House of Hits. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and um, so he he writes those those books are all published by University of Texas Press. Mm-hmm. So after an event one time we did in Houston, I did an event with Mako and Flash Gordon Parks, and and he he had put us all on the bill, mm-hmm. Roger Wood, oh. or, or at least he he got us connected with them. I, mm-hmm. I know that I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was definitely because of Roger that we were on that. And, um, so, uh, anyway, afterwards I was like, you know, you, you write for them. What's that like? He's like, well, I get, I get paid one time a year and my book stays in print. And I was like, that's all I want. Mm-hmm. My first two books, I didn't make a dime. I didn't make any money right. off those books and they didn't stay in print either, you know? Hmm. And it's just because of, they were heavy books. They were really, really expensive to produce. I mean, and Houston it, rap and Houston rap yeah, tapes. Okay, yeah, the first right, one. Right. Yeah, the yeah. first one of each. Like they're really expensive. Um, yeah, they were super expensive. They spent just so much money. It was an insane investment, and so they never recouped, and we just never got paid. Mm-hmm. You know, which it is what it is. It's just part of the industry. You know, we kind of knew that, but it was like a it's a building block. You oh, know? it makes every it opens up a lot of doors for you, and, mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of places where you can go speak and do all kinds of things. So when you become you know proving yourself as the expert on this topic it is what it is you're the expert on this topic you've been doing this way longer than me but not necessarily dj screw well specifically screw it you know i mean i've definitely studied deep deep into those corners i know about screw i know lots of things in here and there but no i didn't i've not researched it like that and it's just like i said with with pimp c and with julia beverly and all that i was like 
Because I've had people ask me things like, Why, where's your book? Why haven't you done this? I'm like, man, I ain't writing that book. Thank you for writing the book, Lance. <laughs> Thank you. I ain't writing that shit. I don't have the patience. I don't have the time. To, I've, I've talked to all these people enough. <laughs> and I'll talk to them personally anytime. But like, You're going to write a book. It's just yeah. might not necessarily be about that stuff. You know? Well, exactly. You've, you've totally yeah. got a book. You just got to figure out what it is. Yeah, you know? right. there would be a point when like you're reading something else or you're, you know, something else is going to put an idea in you and you're going to, oh, wait, okay, this is what I need to do. Well, I and mean, you'll figure music it out. book, though. Music, like That's about skirt or something. Like, well, I'm I just saying, I can't do that. Whatever book you would write yeah. would have something to do with music. It doesn't matter. You know, it would be tangential to music, but you'll figure it out at some point. Right. It'll be, I know, because I've been talking to you about this for years. And, yeah, yeah, I know, you know, I know. And I always say that, like, you know, I know you got a book in you, yeah. you know. You know, you, you wouldn't even mention a book and nobody would mention a book around you if it wasn't that you were supposed to. Of course, you're supposed to. Right. You just got to figure out what it is. And then it, one of these days it's going to make sense to you and you're going to go, oh, I need to do this. And only only, you know. No, but, I hear you. But you know. I'm talking about straight up Houston rap and things like my yeah, feelings well. on that are like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> right, right. But I'm very happy to read it. And reading Houston rap tapes was a joy. You know, Thank you. there were moments like, like the uh, the Southside Players interview, I was like, oh, stop, yeah. I had to stop a couple times and come back to it uh-huh. too much. I could hear them too much and rattling in my head. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> especially with, like, the three of them. Wow, you no, know, I'm saying I could hear yeah. that interview. I could hear you. You know what, that interview? There. Okay, so that Southside Players interview yeah. took place on Cullen Boulevard across the street from the screw shop, you know, where there was, like, yeah. that brick building that, like, been smashed out? I think, yep. So I'm standing on the sidewalk. Peter Best is standing on the sidewalk, and those three guys are standing in the street on Cullen Boulevard while cars are going by, <laughs> and cars would just go around them and like honk, oh, look at that, it's Mr. 3-2. They were standing in the street the whole time that we did that interview, and and cars just kept going around them, but cars saw that it was them, they were like, oh, it's Southside Players, let's just keep, let's, let's okay, let me just get in the left lane here. <laughs> oh, man, I can see that. So that's why that interview is not that long, because at a certain point, I was like, Peter, Let's just go back across the street. These guys are going to get killed, man. But they were like very intentionally standing in the street. It was amazing. Yeah, I understand. I yeah. hear you. Yeah. I hear that. I've done a lot of interviews in the street. <laughs> but like that, that's the 3-2. I was very happy in the original version of Houston Rap, like, or Houston Rap Tapes. Yeah, I um, love that photo. He was on the cover. Yeah. I mean, if there's an unheralded voice, and there's a million unheralded voices, but... Three two is the the poster child for unheralded voices in rap. He was my favorite rapper. Man, yeah, he was my favorite rapper in the world. He's the yeah. great. He's every everything he touched. It was just so so charismatic and so you know mm-hmm. like so cool. Like I loved I loved the coolness about him, but like you know also like the kind of the attack that he could come with, mm-hmm. you know. And then his lyrics were always just like just so perfect. Like you, you never heard, you, you never listened to any of his lyrics, so you didn't feel like completely perfectly re- reflected his personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was something, man. That one song on the Convicts album, I don't know. I'm not going to co-sign the. Well, that's the too. That's early song, though, man. I'm yeah, not yeah. Co-sign that. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I actually like in the. <clears throat> excuse me, in modern times of cancel culture and things like this or what have you, it was, you know, say, five, say four or five years ago, I I was, I pulled that out and was like, I need the to convicts, listen. The convicts album. Yeah, 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 yeah. The whole album is crazy, but like uh-huh. that one song, I was just like, oh, wow, man. It's nuts. 
yeah. if this, uh, oh man. And it's so crazy to think about, like, I'm always like a, a proponent of like, you know, things haven't really, things have changed a lot, but things haven't changed that much. It's still a lot of BS out there, but like, you would be, you'd be fucked if you came out with that song right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's crazy, what's, it was cra- wild. what's crazy to think about is that like, you know, you talk about like three twos development as an artist, you know, it, that, that, that record came out in 1991. Yep. You know, and then like, his first solo album and black monks came out in 93, 94, right in that, that time. Mm-hmm. And then what's in between is when they were working with death row, which never, nobody ever heard. Okay. And I don't know if it was recorded, but like, that's what's in between. It would be so interesting to hear what that sounded like, what big Mike and Mr. Th- and Mr. Three, two sounded like in between the convicts. And then what they went on to do, cause something serious, you know, came out 94 also. Right. I uh, yes, mm-hmm. it did. Yeah. So I have a question for you because this is something I, we may have talked about this before, but <clears throat> three, two is definitely a tortured soul. Yeah. And I wonder if some of that torture came from the success of Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. He right, was there right. in that whole recording and Snoop even has given him props and said, Oh yep. yeah, we got, he barely. definitely, I mean, when you He's listen, Snoop is, Snoop is Snoop. I'm not taking anything away yeah, from yeah. him, but there's three, two elements in there. Sure. Or sure, hands down, uh-huh. no question. And when you're three two in Houston with probably some crazy deals that weren't amazing and mm-hmm. you weren't in the media capital and you weren't there, yep. you come home and here comes this guy becomes the biggest rapper in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But certainly a different rapper altogether in the end, but mm-hmm. like there's some stuff that like and you know, Def Jam Blaster will will uh, attest to that. People who were around back then will attest to that. You know the kind of the whole way that you know Snoop ended up talking, but then kind of making his voice higher like that. You mm-hmm. know that stuff that Three Two and a bunch of guys from Mo City were doing. Mm-hmm. Willow Ridge, I think. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It just in high school they were doing that, and he carried it on as he became an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, with that first single he did, you know the the one with Def Jam Blaster. I love that you said what you just said because. You're talking about how he they, he started doing things related to what they were doing in high school that was just very natural and how they were. Mm-hmm. I know that this is probably true of any kind of music anywhere, but in the South, especially what I know about in Houston rap, a lot of that slang and things they they you know attribute to Houston rap and all this that's not that's Houston people. Yeah, yeah, it's it's neighborhood. It's guys, real. It's, it's just reality. That's yeah. how it is. A lot of uh, Fat Pat stuff, man. Yeah, you know. Those were not, that's not from rappers. It's not like stuff that was invented in the music. It was stuff that was invented, you know, just between friends. Tally talked. Yeah. That's yeah. what it sounded exactly. like. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why it was so authentic in the music. That's why when people heard it on screw tapes, they're like, oh, fuck yeah, man. That's the way we talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are the streets that we drive down that they're talking about, you know, and they're mm-hmm. talking about places in our, in my neighborhood and people I know. And, uh, exactly. and they're, and they're, and they're talking like me. Yeah, the same slang. I talk about this a lot in when I do interviews with people, especially because a lot of people I talk to are Texas folks and stuff. And I'm like, that's what really drew me into the scene and the community was how communal it was, how real it was from, you know, if it was from this part or this part, you, you knew it, mm-hmm. you know, and the Houston, especially Texas supported. I want to say Texas supported Texas, but honestly, Texas supported Houston. Right. Houston supported <laughs> Houston. Yeah. And that was insane to see. Mm-hmm. It happens in the Bay Area. It happened in certain scenes, sort of, but like 
I don't think, and I'd, I'd compare the Bay to Houston for sure, but it's hard to compare any place else really to like what that local, like what local scene, Seattle mm-hmm. for grunge for a little while right, and for this, right. like weird little things that have happened throughout musical history, mm-hmm. the DC punk, this and that, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Houston rap mm-hmm. was Houston, man. And then mm-hmm. it took a little longer for it to, I think, really creep out mm-hmm. to a lot of other places, but... <clears throat> Once it did, and people saw it, people heard it. Mm-hmm. You know, it took a long time for that sound, in my opinion, to get the validity. One hundred percent. But you know, that, but that's what made it pop the way it did. That was what was dope about it. We yeah. were in our world. It was a pressure cooker. It was a pressure cooker of sound. Yeah. You know, over you know, you could really say a couple decades. Easily. You know, yeah. but you would you definitely say a couple of decades because the first rap records in Houston were coming out in 1984, 85, you know, mm-hmm. and then we're talking about 2004, 2005. So for 20 years, with the exception of the Ghetto Boys, there was a pressure cooker of an entire scene mm-hmm. that was building up and just making its own money throughout the 90s, you know, not having to really tour, do, doing some touring, but not depending on like a national audience. Right. You know. Well, that being said, we can't forget about Wanna Be a Baller. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. There were things that popped, no things doubt. Twenty five lighters too, in, in other yep. songs, and and you know, and and Lil Flip, um, you know, had a couple of platinum records, you know. Mm-hmm. But what I mean is that like all the attention turned right on to Houston, exactly, in those, in those years, and that had yep. not happened before as no. a city. And um, think about it, man, it hasn't happened since. No. Be- and and the reason why is because we got more global after that. Yep. You know, music they you know music got less physical. And music was on the internet and people got mobile phones, even if they didn't have them in the years prior. And then they got phones that had internet and we became so connected that everything just sort of leaked out. And there was no scene that could pressure cook like that and then pop all at once. You know, like you said, exactly with Seattle with grunge or, you know, LA or, or, or Boston with punk or whatever scenes you're talking about, like have a pressure cooker and then, and then pop like that. Now we learn about everything right away. So a scene can't, can't build up and pop like that. Houston yeah. was the last one. Really? Yeah, I hear you. I yeah. agree. You know why? But you know what's fucked up? Because I, I, I've, I've actually sort of insulted <clears throat> some music journalists before. Because I'll say this to people: like, man, that was really crazy when y'all left Houston and went right to hipster rap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they right. did. Like Sound Houston was and everywhere, yeah. and it, not uh-huh. before SoundCloud. Or blog, blog, yeah, the blog room. Before SoundCloud, like mm-hmm. the, just the goofballs, man. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there's such a, there's Eric. like this goofy moment. Yeah, and like it was a, uh, yeah, exactly, man. Like Houston was that last like region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that way. Yeah, everything else was on the internet after that. Yep. Really. And people started sounding the same after that. Like yep. I um I talk about this all the time too. Is like the the regional rap, mm-hmm. you know, I miss, uh, there, it, there's stuff coming. I think right now things are happening again. Like things are like the, the biorhythm of hip hop of rap music. Like it's, it's on a rise again, like for good stuff coming out again. But as, as like scenes from different cities, you see it. There's, as you, no, there's I mean, just quality that, wise. Like I uh-huh. feel like for a minute, I know there was always quality rappers, but when it yeah. came to new stuff, because I'm always trying to hear the, these new songs, and I had to give up for a minute. I had mm-hmm. to stop. Like, I can't take it anymore, yeah. some of this stuff, because it's like Houston shouldn't sound like Atlanta or anything else. Like, yeah. You know, it, they, and, and also Houston shouldn't also just sound like screw music either. It shouldn't just well, be like one thing. That's but, the whole thing. Houston's never been just the one thing. Right. You know, screw is the, the sound that it gets known for, but what about like Ghetto Boys Funk? You know, what well, about that? You know. 
that, that is a stuff. major point of contention for me because, okay, yes, I love DJ Screw and he deserves all the added, you know, mm-hmm. all the, the credit, you get everything, mm-hmm. every mural, everything, anybody that the book or all this, things like this. But bitch, what about Bushwick Bill? Not you. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I Bushwick Bill drove me crazy sometimes. I know he was he's a wild man. I know why <laughs> some people can't, you know, deal with him. But I, you cannot deny how much he brought mm-hmm. to us. Yeah, musically and everything else. And I say this like I think Scarface is the greatest ever. Yeah, me too. I actually like uh-huh. Willie D. When it's a Ghetto Boys capacity, mm-hmm. I actually like Willie D. Better even. Like I love Willie D. Mm-hmm. Musically. I think those two are way, way up top on the list of MCs. Oh, yeah. But would they have been as big as they became if they didn't have a psycho dwarf in the group <laughs> to rope so many people in? Like, this is not, I'm not talking about music. I'm not talking about, like, just talent and this and that. I'm talking about, You're talking like, about the, the whole I'm show. Making that show, yeah. making that shit happen, man. The whole show, yeah, yeah. That's, so, regardless. so unique. Bushwick was an important yeah. part yeah. of Houston. yeah. Of rap music in general. No matter what you can say about his flow. No matter what. Or his lyricism or or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, he was. But but his voice was so great, too. Yeah. Beyond just that visual part and all the the other stuff and the craziness of of what, Mm -hmm. you know, what he's rapping about and everything. He had a great voice, man. He had a great voice. Yeah, and he was real with it. Yeah. He lived it. Yeah. He had a great speaking voice. He had a great rapping voice. Man. Yeah. And so, like, so that's part of what drives me crazy about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> right. just like, okay, yeah, yeah you, uh, you know, like for instance, uh, Screw, Pimp C, Big Mo, mm-hmm. the list goes on, but let's say Screw, Pimp C, Big Mo, three of the most important people in the history of our community are dead. Yeah. From the syrup. Mm. And you people are still putting that shit on your hat, on your shirt, on your this, on your that. And it's not even the real shit anymore anyway. It's some garbage. Right, whatever you're getting. Yeah. It's not not what they used to get, for sure. Excuse me. This is what I used to always have when I would do my own little... That's some iced tea? Yeah. There you go. Little 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 drink in the cup. But not that drink. And, of course, I've, I've sipped before. I'm not... Yeah, I me can't, too. I'd, I'd be very um, hypocritical of me to be like, kids? You know, but... <laughs> but when right. it comes to, like, the, the promotion of it and all these things now yeah. coming out of Houston, or, like, let's put it this way, man... Who has been more exploited than DJ Screw? Yeah. It's sick. I'm not talking about books and DVDs and this and that. I'm talking about like. Talking about tying people tying that. Everything. Tying tying coding to him. Yeah. Coding to him and everything else, man. Like, we're just going to use this. You know, it's way worse than just when he was alive Mm -hmm. and people were like, because it wasn't just Swisher House. Back in the day, Cause screw, you know, we can, let's talk more about screw screw did not sell to distributors or to record stores and things like that. Really? Mm-hmm. Right. His tapes came hand to hand from him in his house and his store. And a lot of people took advantage of that. I've got, I oh, remember you mean people made dubs. Yeah. No, 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 no. I mean like other DJs took that slowed down sound and oh, yeah. put out legit quote unquote legit CDs or whatever. Like, and they were, it was like somebody named DJ Scorpio from Dallas, I believe it was. I remember someone because I would get a lot of promo stuff when I was on KPFT back in the in the early nineties, mm-hmm. and this was early, early screw time. Like, 
93 fours, literally. He had just kind of broken out a bit. And there were other DJs who jumped on that quick. Mm-hmm. And this, I remember getting a CD with like skulls and like all this. Bone. Yeah. Bone. I, DJ Bone. Well, Bone, Bone's pretty legit, I think. Maybe I'm talking, I don't know. Like, Are you talking about people who like put stuff out as DJ Screw? No, but I mean like. Or they called it chopped and screwed. I guess basically I'm saying this was happening before it became like everybody know, knew that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there was people like right off the bat biting his ass. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there's one CD, like I said specifically, I remember getting in the mail. And I was like, and at the time in the early night, I did not like screw. I, I was like, <laughs> why are they doing this? I smoke weed every day. I don't understand this slowed down <laughs> tapes. What is wrong with these dudes, man? Yeah. Big Mellow was the first person who really tried to explain it to me. Mm-hmm. He was just like, man, you hear that screw, and it's like, like, he was like hype about it. I was like, I guess it was so. <laughs> but at first, I think a lot of people had a reaction. How early? First. How early do you think he knew Screw? I could never really pinpoint when Big Mellow met Screw. I knew he he knew him for years, but I don't know when he met him. I I mean, I couldn't answer that. No way. Yeah. I have no idea. But, but no, Big, when did but when did dude. he tell you that though? I mean, I moved to New York in the beginning of '94. So he told you before that? So before that, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, he, he was certainly... Because, no, he told me He that may have just been tuned into what Screw to be was honest doing. He with might you, not know him yet, but I, I, maybe he knew him that early. I think he did, because uh, me and Southside, he's in a big mellow, was big. Yeah, yeah. Any DJ. But he didn't, he didn't make any Screw tapes. Right? Well, no, no, but I mean, I could see Screw and DJ Chill being at a place to uh-huh. pick up some records or something. Right. Him. You know, like, they that was... Like, I always tell the story of, like, not just the story, but like when I was young and I think it's in your book. I think I said it in, in the book. Even I was like, when I went out three, two was there. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you did tell me that anything you went to, uh-huh. if it, it was, was rap related, uh-huh. three, two was in the house for every time. I love that. But big mellow was there a lot. Too. Like you always the big, it was, we were there. It wasn't that big of a scene. It was big. Mm-hmm. Lots of people that, you know, you still, you know, the palladium and the, some of those clubs back in the day, Boomerang and all that. There's a couple thousand people in there. It was, yeah. it was a big scene enough, but it wasn't like everybody knew each other. It was like as big as connections or not quite as big as connections? Yeah, similar. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, those were big. Those yeah. clubs were like that. They were huge. Huge. Yeah, two or 3,000. I counted, I, I, I guessed in connections a couple times, probably 3,000. Yep. Yeah. Connection may have been a little bigger, but I don't know. I mean, the, all those clubs were they big. They moved, moved around so many times. Yeah. That, you know. So... Yeah, I mean, but those those guys were just around. But like, I remember with Big Mellow, like, he was just hype about it, mm-hmm. you know. And I was a young keep it real hip hop dude mm-hmm. waiting on the Nas record or whatever, you yeah. know. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know why y'all listen to this music slowed down. I don't get it. I really did, especially in the I didn't get it. But then I remember leaving to to New York mm-hmm. and. This was a party game for me, like, because I, I don't know, I had stuff, you know, I had so many tapes and records and stuff, and I had a couple things. I, de- I definitely didn't have, like, great screw tapes, so mm-hmm. I don't know what I was playing, but you'd be at, like, some party in New York, people would be over, and you'd put in the screw tape and just watch everyone be pissed and freak out, like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I did that in Amsterdam, I did that in Chicago. I would literally, like, be, because, you know, a lot of the parties, if it wasn't like a legit, you know, what we didn't have a, Everybody didn't have a legit DJ at the house party uh-huh. or real stereo. It might have just been a boombox playing some music in one of the rooms, you know. 
And I would make my way in and be like, people would be like, what the, what is it? Why, why are you doing this? I did it. There's a, there's a, um, there's a recording studio in, um, in uh, Koreatown in, in Manhattan. And, um, there was a party in there probably, this was last summer, I think it was. And it's, it was a bunch of actors and actresses, young actors and actresses. The, the, a friend of mine is in a TV show and her show had just wrapped. And so they had like a party or no, it was her birthday. They all came over. They were in the, they were in the room and they were dancing and I flipped it over to screw. It was fat pet. (laughs) They all just like soured immediately and like kind of skulked out of there and walked out and then went outside and smoked weed. Wow, but man. Fat Pat just scared them. He just terrified them. It, just, it was screw mixing Fat Pat, so it was extra bassy and extra. Like, What's this? They couldn't handle it. I've had a couple experiences though where I was surprised that um, when like New York people heard Fat Pat and were like, "Ooh, I like this one." Mm-hmm. Like they didn't give a shit about Southern rap. They didn't want to hear all yeah. that, but they were like, "Oh, who's this?" Fucking like, tell them, you know, Fat Pat. Man, what a loss. I worked God. at Music Mania in Austin at the time. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about a loss? I saw it firsthand. It was like torture to be in that store. Because it sold so well, right? No, because the tape or the CD or whatever didn't come out. You know, th- we didn't have a internet to say the release date. Uh-huh. I'm going to say this, and you might think I'm slightly exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating at all. All day for... I'm going to say weeks, not months, but it seemed like it was forever. People walk in the door. Got fat pet. No, got fat pet. Got fat pet. Fat pet out yet? You got fat pet. You got fat pet. You got that fat pet. Is that fat pet? You got the, I heard you had the fat pet. That fat pet. No, it never, it didn't. It was like in one after the other. You got fat pet. Got fat pet. Got fat pet. And they'd walk out. This is, you know. You he could, died in February '98, right? Yeah, yeah, February '98. So you, you couldn't was, get it from a distributor, just like you it could. wasn't out yet. Oh, people didn't know though. Oh yeah, yeah, it wasn't out yet. Like so, it came out like a couple. Came weeks. out after he died. Yeah, like two or three, like three weeks after he died. Yes, something like that. Yeah. So this was before he died. Uh-huh. This was before all that even happened. Oh really? Yes. It for sure. The people were asking. People for were it. already asking for the tape, mm-hmm. and we're just like, no, no, no. And we didn't know when it was coming. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't like that. You know what? It it was so hot. That's how that show ended up getting bootlegged. Because the Austin they knew, one? Yeah. Yep. Because that's how they knew. They knew how bad people wanted to hear Fat Pat. Like, people were dying to hear Fat Pat, especially after they did that big show, because that was in December. Uh, no, that was in January of, of 98 mm. that they did that show, that big show, you know, out at the, at the Dessau. Dessau Hall. It's a, yeah, it's in there. It's in the yeah, book. It's a Dessau Hall, yeah. Yeah, of course, it's in the yeah. book, yeah. And that whole uh, that whole big thing, that show was was bootlegged. And tapes were out on the street like right away. Mm-hmm. They bootlegged that show. People made tapes. Weasel, Weasel did that, Man. And, and started making money off of it right away because that's how hot Fat Pat was in Austin. People would take a bootleg of a show he played. Yeah, and he didn't. And he rocked his he rocked his album. You know, he played mm-hmm. the songs. Yeah. yeah, according to the people that were there, like yeah, there was, he 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 delivered. He played the songs from the album. Man. You know? Yeah, I was not there. I was not there. I was around in Austin, but I, and I remember things like Too Short at Tessa Hall. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that was a that was a hall to get out there. That yeah, was not, was you like, know what I mean? That was like it was out, out there, there, and it was like a big dance hall. Yeah, yeah. So I may have only that might have been the only time I went not to the Screw Show, mm-hmm. but I do remember the legend of all that, and, and I remember when that the tape was out and all that. But when when they, when before Fat Pat died, it was insane. And then also in the, as an aside. Uh, at Music Mania, mm-hmm. um, 
someone came in selling, you know, the clear screw tapes. Like it, it looks kind of like what they were selling later at the screw shop, but it was just like a, a clear was, tape. The clear tape with the white print on it. Yes. Uh huh. But this was ninety eight. Yeah, this is when he started doing them. Was it? Uh huh. Basically, right around the time that he got the shop, he started doing those. Ah, okay, well, yeah, maybe maybe, maybe they were legit. I don't know, but somebody was coming in selling yeah. us those tapes. Yeah, um, they probably bought them up from him. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I kind of felt they like probably went down to the shop and bought a bunch of them because I had known he wasn't selling them like that. Because Watts would come into well, I don't know when that was when he started coming to Music Mania. Maybe it was probably later than that, but like, yeah, Screw was not coming into Music Mania to sell his tapes. Somebody else did, mm-hmm. and so. One night, we had just, you know, one day we had gotten a a selection of screw tapes mm-hmm. and um, a bunch, and we put them all up behind the counter, you know, in the display behind the counter. One night, someone broke the glass door, came into Music Mania, only stole all the screw tapes. Fuck. I'm not kidding. This is not an exact note. Didn't steal anything else. <laughs> That's amazing. So my thought is, Holy shit. it's one of two things. Someone uh-huh. who was like, hey, fuck y'all, you can't just be selling this screw here. Mm-hmm. Or those tapes are some, so valuable. Some high school it. kid, <laughs> some kid was like, Damn. I'm taking all them tapes and going to be selling them out. So I was like, man. Or they, want, or they wanted them all for themselves. It had nothing to do with selling them. Right. But they well, were they, I mean, like, there were multiple copies. This, yeah. There were multiple copies of titles. Oh, okay. so it was probably yeah. like six titles or something. Yeah, there was or multiple, then there you go. Then there you go. So I could I sell them. Somebody was like, I'm going to sell these to school tomorrow. Somebody's got to have fat pad on them. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy, man. Like the, the obsession, the man. And, and I say this all the time. I've said it on podcasts before. There's DJs in the world that are better than DJ screw. And there's many DJs in the world who are bigger than DJ screw. Mm-hmm. No DJ affected their community like screw. No, None, no way. Nobody has touched their community the way screw did. Yeah. There's place, please people who, I mean, fucking cool hurt created hip hop. Okay, but everything you know, we we know what they did, and they they're huge. Mm-hmm. But as far as like just that community, community, mm-hmm. you screw, screw. You couldn't at a certain point in time. You couldn't stop at a red light without hearing screw. Yeah, it was there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you look over and it was like an old white, not old, but like some white lady yeah, in a yeah. minivan. Uh-huh. Everyone. Yeah. At a certain time was in Houston and then here in Austin and throughout, you know, the regions where he hit when he was They alive. were really banging him in Austin. Yeah. They were banging him. It was Shorty Mac. But you said it though. That's that right there. No one touched their community the way Screw did. That's what made me want to do the book about yeah. him. Right there. That's why I wanted to do the book about him. You, you said it better than I've said it. That's it, though. The way the way he touched his community. It's the truth. I've said it for yeah. years. Like, there's just no comparison. I've watched. I know a lot of DJs that I love, and uh, it and they're huge. They could be making a million dollars a night in Vegas, whatever. But are they still the showing. But they still showing love on a personal level. It has like not, that no, and nothing deep into a community. Nowhere near the way. I mean, there were kids who listened who never heard regular speed rap. Yeah. Maybe not never, but like. That's not didn't what they bother with to. it. No. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to hear music on screw tapes. Yeah. I just I want to hear my music that flavor. I want to hear what screw would do with that music. I want screw to to equalize it the way he hears it. And that's know, so crazy to me to compress think. it the way he hears it. Like 
it's normal enough for a lot of people, but I don't feel like it's normal. <laughs> like so what he did, like he did something crazy, like experimental, like crazy. You know? Like, no, it's not normal. It's it was it was normal, out of it was know? out of. It but it's normal out, to it people. Was, it's, it's, there's people. It's normal that's now. Very normal. To it's people. normal now, but it was out there. It was out there when it came out, and it was yeah. it was innovative in a way that like not like anybody else stumbled on it. No, you know, he innovated to the point where like they were people. You know, people were like, okay, well, I'm doing this, but there's no doubt where that came from. Right. That mix of those techniques. You know, people had done doubling before, people mm-hmm. and scratching before, people had slowed stuff down before. Yeah, you've but, got Daryl Scott and other things, yeah. other information that I didn't even totally know. In the, right in the beginning of the book, talking about, you know, they, they did bits on their tape and might be slowed down and things mm-hmm. like that. Or at the yeah. end of the night, slowed down something or something. Right, right. But, like, nobody did it what, you know, House Crew just really mm-hmm. did it. And when it, oh, man, I mean, I remember my feelings back then because I was, I didn't have facial hair. <laughs> you know, I was 19, I was 20 probably when I first heard it, say mm-hmm. 92, mm-hmm. when it first was starting, you know, and I, before I even heard it, I was hating. That's when I met you was 1992. Wow. That's right. Uh-huh. Man. Right when, in, in, right when I moved to Houston. Wow. Yeah. I, mo- I met you like, I met you in like the first few months and I didn't see you again for years. Where were we? We were in Pasadena and I met you with Robbie Conley. Man, Robbie Connolly introduced us, and I saw you then. That's and I right. didn't, I That's didn't see you right. again. I didn't see you again forever. But yeah. we met. I had only lived in Houston for like two or three months, and and we, you and I met. Wow. Yeah. Robbie, what up? No, bro? you know what? I saw you again. Maybe a year or two later, um, with um, at an Odd Squat show. Wow. Yeah, but then I didn't see you for years because you moved to St. Louis and you moved to New York. No, I didn't well, you live, or you went back and forth to St. Louis or something. I been I did a lot for Murder Dog in St. Louis, but I was in New York in '94. I was in Austin in '95. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't see you again for years. I Amsterdam '96, but and then um, back in Austin a bit, and then to Chicago for three years. So, yeah. but when I came back to Houston, you were doing Hands Up Houston. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. That started in, in 2000. Uh huh. Man. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, because you you came back in like oh one. Yeah, end of but, you, but you probably started coming to our shows in like oh two, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember. Well, I yeah, Mary the, Jane's. I think the fall played Mary Jane's like the day Ava was born, and I was not pissed. I, I was very happy to have my first baby, but I did miss the fall. Yeah. It was a pretty cool show. I booked that show. I know. Yeah, I remember, and I saw Mel Banana though. I got to see that. Mm-hmm. There was a bunch. Yeah, those are the days. It was. It was a good time. It was a good. It was a good thing to be doing. It was a good. For me, that was a really good experience running shows, booking shows and, and like, you know, dealing with contracts, mm-hmm. booking bands, negotiating, you know, all that stuff. And then and then actually running the show, working the door, you know, arranging for the sound and bringing in the real stuff, man, for real. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the days I drove down Washington Avenue just last week. We went to man, the rodeo. So, so I was different. Like, oh, that was like, there's I told uh, my wife, I was like, that was one of the dopest punk places ever and that empty space right there was one of the dopest <laughs> but the axiom still stands for some reason empty i love it with the sign without yeah. let me paint it over but the arrow is still on it it's just sitting there i think they did a photo shoot recently where they brought us they brought a sign and put it out there ah well <laughs> the arrow axiom. is still like yeah on there, or, or they put painted. it on there yeah. or something yeah that was like, the first club i ever went to in houston was the axiom i was at the first axiom show ever wow no, I didn't go until and 89, I think. I've, I believe it was supposed to be Fang headlining. Wow. But all I know is the first band that played 
they came on way late. You want to hear my first Axiom show story? I can tell you. And I'd I be do. shocked if I never told you this before. But um, I was 14. Wow. <laughs> before cell phones and all that, uh-huh. I lived at Holly Hall and Almeida. Well, I was staying with my dad. I didn't live there. I was staying in the summer. And say, whatever year. Maybe I was 15, but I was young. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a band, I think they were from Seattle, called the Vampire Lesbos. They mm-hmm. were the first band. And then I feel like Fang was supposed to be headlining. Mm-hmm. And I'm 90% sure this was actually the first Axiom show. Mm-hmm. And uh, That sounds right. Yeah. Vampire Lesbos, yeah. I think I heard that. I went in. And there was literally, there was in the, the, the room where the shows were, mm-hmm. this was not, the action was not built out yet, hardly. There was a bar and stuff, but it was a mess. In the, sh- the room where the shows were, there was a hole in the ceiling. <laughs> there was a toilet in the middle of the floor. The bathrooms didn't work. There was no, like, actual bathroom. And my dad dropped me off. Uh-huh. And then they went out to dinner and stuff. And uh, go in. And I'm just like waiting, 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 like you often did at the Axiom for mm-hmm. the motherfuckers to start. Just standing around. <sighs> they wouldn't even give you water. <laughs> no. Yeah. And uh, yeah. they'd... Uh, the, so punk. The band started, and like, I was there alone too, by the way. I didn't have friends back Me, then yeah. like that. I, I would go with one guy, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and I was there by myself, and two maximum songs in of the first band... The police come in, and there's like <laughs> flashlights shining over. They're like shining the flashlight on the light on the hole in the ceiling, the toilet, and all. Uh-huh. They're like, "Get out! Everybody's got to get out!" They shut the whole show down. Right? Damn. Everybody gets out and leaves, but I didn't have a car. Empty, empty ass neighborhood. Why the fuck no, did you shut dogs that down? Dogs running around. Seriously, and shit. like packs of wild dogs running around. No. Everything is empty. Everything's dead. There's a few shotgun. There houses. were people who lived there. They were right behind, people, the right behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. God bless them, and. uh so I'm standing outside, and there's a there's there was a payphone right at the door, mm-hmm. and I you know the corner. I left I called my you know nobody answered there was no cell phones I called the home phone, and um I'm standing there and the cops like you can't stay here I'm like I got it. my dad's picking me up I don't know what to do <laughs> he's like you can't stay here I'm sorry, and um, there was a Vietnamese guy who was I mean old maybe thirty I don't know but he was an older dude to me uh-huh. you know, and he's like where do you live. And I said, man, I live, like, right at Holly Hall and Almeida. He's like, oh, you just need to take the whatever bus. You can get right up there. I was like, what? How? I don't. He's just go to Main Street. I was like, where's Main Street? You that know? Was, Main Street was fucking far from there, man. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, far enough. No, I know, because I used to work on Palmer and McKinney. I, th- I used to work at Calico, yep. you know, where Gonzo yeah, and them yeah. had the shop. And that was just a few blocks from the Axiom. Mm-hmm. Main Street was far. For a kid, that's, well, no, it's this. good 12, you you ain't 12 ready. blocks. You're yeah. not ready. I'm not ready. So... I call and leave a message saying, look, man, a guy's taking me to the bus. I'm taking the number, whatever bus up that I'm going to get off at Holly Hall and Almeida. Just so you know, don't come down here. I'm, I'm getting, I'm going to the bus. We walked through the bones of the convention center. Uh-huh. We No, we walked through. Oh, it, it was wasn't being built, built yet. It was being built. Wow. We walked straight through the construction of the George R. Brown Convention Crazy. Center where it was like literally just, what do you call them? What do you call them? Girders or columns, yeah, columns yeah. or whatever coming yeah. out of the ground. Wild. We walked from the Axiom straight there. He just took me to the bus out. The dude waited with me. Wow. Got on the bus. And uh, when I was pulling up Almeida, mm-hmm. the bus was pulling up Almeida almost to Holly Hall. My dad's car came around the corner and he's just, he, his eyes were just like, just looking at the bus, like, oh, 
And I'm like, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was that, but that's crazy. Yeah, man. Because he had gone to the club and well, waited forever. He probably had just gotten home and got the message, like, because you know, it was oh, because like, they were gonna come back for you a lot later, probably like twelve or something. So say it was like eleven. Let's say eleven was mm-hmm. late enough to Fuck, be walking man. through the the, the the wasteland of downtown Houston of nineteen eighty yeah. something. Yeah, big time. Eighty seven would have been something like that. Six seven. If yeah, it was, they had just there. opened, it would have been like eighty seven. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't go to like eighty nine. It yeah. was it was not in much better shape. That was crazy. But it was better than that. But it mm-hmm. yes, I know. I was but that was the spot. Man, I was I I felt really fortunate to be birthed in that spot, you mm-hmm. know, to like start because you know, they closed in ninety two and then they became Catahoyuk and then they became Harvey's and mm-hmm. they, they they still booked cool stuff, but there was nothing like that first run. And I went to probably a dozen shows there in nineteen ninety mm-hmm. and like it really like shaped how I experienced live music. No, it was the shit. And completely separated. Like, by the time that, like, I first saw, like, a real, like, arena show, like mm-hmm. a concert, like, it was such a separate definition for me. I lived know? there. Yeah, I was there yeah. all the time in 1990. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we must have been at some of the same I'm shows. Sure like we just, were. We were both, like, standing against the wall somewhere. Yep. <laughs> Did you see the Rollins band there? I interviewed Henry Rollins behind the Axiom that night. Wow. Yes. And I had written to him. Uh-huh. I, was I wrote at that him show. a letter. Unless it was an earlier one. There was earlier shows. But the one with the dwarves I was at. Shit, yeah, it was that one. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can tell you. This is hilarious. I um, I had written a letter because, you know, he had his. October 99, 1990. What, what was the name of his? Like, 21361, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's like, his publishing house. Yeah, it's two uh-huh. th- yeah whatever. So he had that's that. His so bir- I, that's his birthday. Yeah. I, I wrote the letter. Like, hey, man, you, uh, so you're coming to Houston. I love doing an interview. I got a fancy, you know, whatever. And, uh. He wrote me a postcard back that was just like, yeah, man, cool. Just get with me at the show. That's awesome. So I went early, like sound check time. Uh-huh. I was standing out back of the Axiom with that postcard. I was like, hey, man, you sent me this. Um, <laughs> you said you'd do it. He's like, all right, let's go. That's awesome. Like right there. Wow. So I, I probably, am- I was there early too because I remember seeing him change outside. He went because yeah. he had those long shorts on. That he did the sound check in. I saw the sound check. Or wow. I kind of watched it from that back door. So that I would have probably door. seen you. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. We'd have been standing right there. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. the dwarves. I was definitely there early. I, I, we were geeks from coming up from Galveston. We, of course we were there early. Yeah. You know? I feel like the. Maybe it was. I feel like the dwarves might. Have, uh, I have a very vivid memory of. To think that's 1990 because. Yeah. And and Spleen Spleen played too. Man, remember Spleen remember. was the guy that had like the kind of Pee Wee Herman suit. Yep, you ever I see them? Uh-huh. I used to be up in them. They were great. Three day stubble shows, yeah, all yeah, them yeah. things. Uh huh. But uh, the dwarves, the singer grabbed my friend Natalie from the front row and like just manhandled her on the stage, like threw her around, and she was like, "Wow!" She was like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" Like it didn't hurt her but it was like the dwarf uh-huh. show was raucous as hell. Yeah, it was, was like crazy. 15 minutes at the most yeah yeah and they ended with like somebody jumping into the drum set and but i feel like i couldn't have known natalie in 1990 mm, I don't maybe know. that was october of 90 yeah because that was a big deal for me to see the dwarves in wow. there. so crazy and the rollins band was yeah. crazy with andrew weiss with that big you know fuzzy, yeah dude fuzzy no bass. it had to be 90 yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i know uh-huh. exactly yeah 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 that's crazy. Because Nevermind was 91. 91. I saw Nirvana so, for Nevermind. Did you see that show? No, I at, was gone. At the Vatican? I uh-huh. wasn't there. I saw that one. And it was, um, I was out of town, I know for sure. Because the messed up thing is, in my life, when I booked shows in my hometown of Erie, Pennsylvania in 89, mm-hmm. I moved to Houston officially in September of 89. Mm-hmm. And um, right before I left, 
uh, Danny Bland was an agent in Seattle for all that stuff. And he had hit me up like, yo, you know, Nirvana and L7 are on the road. If you got, you know, they got these dates, isn't that? And I was like, man, I'm moving to Houston. I can't do that. Damn. No. You want to say with damn? L- they were with L7? Opening for L7. Oh, they were opening for L7. Oh, wow. In 89. They toured Leaks. with they toured with uh, Das Damen for that for that tour um, when they came through Houston. They played the Axiom. Nirvana played I the Axiom. I know they played the yeah, Axiom. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't see that. that, but I saw them at the Vatican with Sister Double Happiness. Yeah. That was, I saw, it was about a month after Nevermind came out. So they, it wasn't even packed. It was yeah. it was packed. Tony Hawk was there. It was packed, but it wasn't uh it wasn't like totally like wall to wall insane. No, it took a minute for that you to know, really blow. I don't even know if it sold out, but uh yeah, it was great. I was so glad to see him then. That was, that was the only time I got to see him. I saw the Laughing Highness, Das Dom and, and Sonic Youth together. Wow. That, that was the cool. on Daydream Nation. That was the first time I saw any of them. Uh huh. That that, and too, the that Laughing came through blew my mind. That came through Houston. Yep. Not with Das Domin though. They played at numbers. No, that was a later tour. That was uh, uh-huh. Sonic Youth Gumball and and Laughing Highness, and this was on. This is right oh, when yeah, Mary Grant right, came out. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Okay, that's the show I'm thinking of. All right, man. So I promise we're going to talk about the book, but I like where this conversation is going at the moment because we have this history, you know, to with Houston rap, but also with the Axiom and things like this. Uh-huh. And I was very happy that in the second edition of Houston Rap Tapes, you included Blackie. Yeah. Because, and you're probably one of the only people I could talk about this with that would understand what I'm talking about, but. I, you know, Blackie's younger, Mm -hmm. you know, so he knows some things, but he's also very much like in his own world, like Screw to -hmm. an extent. Like he was very much him. There's no other Blackie, you know. And uh, I explained to him, I was like, what I think there's a lot of, what I think is really cool about Blackie is he's rapping from Houston, but the noise side of him, the craziness of what it is, is also very Houston. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People... This is not something that's really even documented to people outside or who know, but like when you grew up in the punk scene of Houston, it wasn't like there was some straight punk bands and there was hardcore bands. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds, but the the punkest shit about Houston back in the day was the fun house and, and the, the noise, noisy, noise crazy ash. Yeah. Zini Geva staying, Zini Geva staying in Houston a bit. And like the paintings being the center of like uh-huh. so much turmoil in the toy box. Yeah, that was that. Oh, was even more Rose. so. Yeah, like yeah. harder. Like there's yeah. much noisier, crazier stuff in the paintings for sure. Mm-hmm. But that sound exchange, vinyl edge. And I was just at vinyl edge. I bought some Mighty Sparrow records there last week when we nice. went for the rodeo to nice. Houston. And Calypso. Uh, yeah, and uh, and there's Chuck Roast in the house, man. Uh-huh. Like still holding courts in the Heights now. Mm-hmm. Don't have to drive on oh, the Veterans Street, Memorial. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and. Uh, and I was just like looking at him, like, you know, because my first partner in radio was Rad Richard. And I mm-hmm. didn't know Rad Richard when I heard Rad Richard reading the the show list on the on the Funhouse back. He would put put you like the music calendar. Uh-huh. And so I mean, I listened to the Funhouse almost when I was because I would come to Houston in the summers uh-huh. with my father and some you know, around Christmas or whatever, but like and we didn't have internet, you know, there was no internet radio back then. So mm-hmm. I'd come to Houston and I'd be like, oh my God, the fun house, I have to tape it. Yeah. And that was a long Monday tape. nights. So it was Monday nights. It started at, um, at 10 p.m. Right? 10 p.m. Oh, yeah, it was a 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. So it started Honestly, at 10 p.m. I don't remember the, exactly. It started at 10 p.m. and the first hour was always industrial noise, mm-hmm. ambient music, and but mostly not at ambient. 
is is a catch-all, but ambient is only one part of it because mm-hmm. there was lots of like what was then called industrial, mm-hmm. you know, before somebody started calling something like ministry or nine inch nails yep. industrial, but like that kind of industrial. So it was an hour of that and then two hours of punk rock and just crazy, crazy stuff. It was that, wild. Uh, and it was if you really think about it. a lot of local stuff that it would play too. Yes. Esoterica Landscape Seven, like <sighs> You know, really crazy, noisy stuff. Used that was to was on. noisy and crazy, yeah. and yeah. always on its and, own and shit. And that stuff was super punk. So when you go to a, like a punk club, like the Axiom, which, like you said, was just really raw space. There was a you know front room with the bar, and people would kind of hang out in there. And then you know, when you go in the back, there's a stage in the corner, mm-hmm. and eventually they they made a patio outside, but. Mm-hmm. Mostly oh. just a cinder block room, a hard cinder block room, but it was so punk rock and it was just like an amazing, amazing place to oh, be because man. it felt, it felt like punk rock because it felt like a free space. Like yeah. Ian, Ian Mackay from Minor Threat, Fugazi, you know. Uh, I saw Fugazi did. at the exam. Oh, I didn't see that, but I, I remember. Did. I remember when they played, I, but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't catch them. But he always says, you know, punk is a free space, and the Axiom was a free space like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Jr. is going to do a book. I heard that. Then do a book about the axiom. Yeah, yeah. He should. Oh, totally. Yeah. Man, so speaking of books, you have a book coming out. I do. <laughs> <laughs> DJ Screw: A Life in Slow Revolution. And I started this podcast out saying, "Man, you're fucking crazy," talking to all these people. I'd like to know a bit about this process. I mean, it's been years. I don't need you know who. Like this would be a weird. I don't know who did you start with to get this going because you mentioned earlier in the book that as you were talking to the artists for Houston Rap, mm-hmm. what eventually became Houston Rap Tapes, you had this revelation that this had to happen. Mm-hmm. But I know, like you just did a panel with his sister mm-hmm. and Derek Dixon, and Derek Dixon, Derek yeah. from Rec Shop Records, and OG Ron C. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me. You don't have to tell me why ESG wasn't there, but because <laughs> I saw the picture, I was like, ESG, Dan, come on, man. Uh, but like his sister had to been a very valuable resource. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Had definitely. To. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing because, you know, she had, um, you know, she had the she had the memories of him from, um, you know, points that of his life that nobody else saw. Mm-hmm. You know, she she shared moments with him that like you know, only their mother would remember and she wasn't around anymore. You no. interviewed, you interviewed her, yeah. but I never got to talk to her. Right. The beginning of the book is very, ama- is amazing. Like I said, I haven't finished it. I'm sorry. South by Southwest and things. It, they know. ruin everything. It's okay. The, the ending but, is worth taking slow. Oh, I'm ready. But yeah, the, you're close. I see it. But the beginning, like the, the children's stories and stuff in there are amazing. Yeah. You know, to hear that sort of stuff from her and from his best friends. And things yeah. Like, that. like you really went in. What was the hardest part about doing this book? Uh, getting people to talk. Just getting them to talk in well, general. Just some because you know the thing is like with Screw is it for a lot of people to talk about him mm-hmm. opens a wound. You know, it's yep. it's hard for people. Like mm-hmm. they loved him and he and he loved them. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the that's the you know that's the theme that runs through all of it is everybody loved him and he loved he loved the people that were around him. You know, and um, so for people to talk about him, there was some people that I like. There was one person I tried to interview who could not do it. Like when we, as soon as we started talking about him, she started crying, and like, and just, and we just couldn't get, we couldn't get anywhere on it. And it happened a couple times. And when she would try to talk about, you know, it's really, really emotional for some people. It hurts. 
So, you know, so some people took a lot longer than others. And, yeah. you know, some people had to kind of come around on their own time. And, but that's, that's why you take your time to do it. If I'd rushed this book out years ago, we'd be missing a bunch of people that, that kind of finally, I got to come in, you know, kind of some of them at the last minute yeah. I was able to get. Maybe. So that's hard. That's really, that's really, really hard because like you want them in the book, mm-hmm. right? But I'm also not going to like force my way in, you know, no. to somebody's time and their life and their space, you know, but I also want them to know how much I want it. But sometimes you just can't push so hard on somebody. You know? No, I've had a, to stop people. Yeah. I've taken some big things to Big Bub. Mm-hmm. And he used to do it, you know, but it, it, in the end, he's like, man, I can't do this shit anymore. I don't want to talk about it to these people yeah, anymore. You exactly. Know? Yeah. And he deserves to be able to say that. No, he does deserve to be able you to know? say that. Every, every that. last one of them does, you know. And I've had to tell some people, you know, chill with that shit. Yeah. Chill. Let them let be, man. It is yeah. what it is. Right. Sorry. Right. So I had to take a lot of time, you know, with people. Um, some certain, you know, other people were, you know, really excited. Oh, yeah. And as soon as I contacted mm-hmm. you, yeah, let's do it. You know, and that's great. You know, and both that interview is just as valuable and and telling and important to the Mm -hmm. book as as the one that's hard to get. And Big Bub's his cousin. Mm -hmm. Still runs uh, Screwed Up Records and Tapes. Yeah. And that's the most insane story in music because of streaming and this and that and all the other things that (laughs) exist. (laughs) Screw has been dead, what, 21 and a half years. 21 and a half years. You know. And so that means that no DJ Screw product, no DJ Screw musical product in there is less than 21 and a half years old. Most of right. them are more than that. Yep. The vast most. majority are more than that. Most of them. Because his late output was a little, I mean, there's stuff. There's, there's a less. core of like 95, 96, 97. Yeah. Where he just cranked out an enormous exactly. number of tapes. Yeah. So those, those CDs and somehow it still exists and there's people who buy it. And new chapters come out and they buy them up. I do. When I see Where do the cha- new chapters come from? Is there just somebody pops up with a personal? Yeah, I guess so. Has to I be. don't know what the, you know, I don't know what kind of arrangement they have with people. But um, but it has to be because, you know. It has to be just a personal that someone's yeah. like, yeah, nobody has this. Yeah, they, they just, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that, that deal is. That's between Bo yeah, and no, whoever, I'm not whoever saying brings that. the tapes up. But but it's good that it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good that those, those tapes, you know, um, emerge and then and then because you know that sometimes i'll see a new one come up and it'll say you know oh i gotta have that one mm-hmm. you know i just order it from online i always I, I try to buy stuff from them all the time you know keep them keep them busy you're gonna keep go them, broke yeah no well, they're expensive know. they're expensive but they're worth it <laughs> no it is you know? it's, it's the shit no, yeah it it's, it's real mm-hmm. yeah that's the place to support right there of course yeah. every time when i mean th- th- uh, i have had so many crazy random moments at both screwed up records and tapes locations. Mm-hmm. You just go there and it's like, well, I just learned a whole lot of shit today. <laughs> like you just said people who show up and are there just talking this and that. Like there's been so many experiences there. Yeah. Yeah. Just sitting in the back and then just see who shows up. Parking lot, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or exactly. Or outside. People yeah. just, you know, just start talking, 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 talking. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, past, you know, when he died, you know, him being dead and the the original shop when they, they you know, on Cullen. And I took, I took fucking Sway and MTV there and ESG and Hawk mm-hmm. and C-Note, Chill, K-Reno came out. 
I'm pretty sure Willine was there. Everybody, you know. What year? After he passed, you saying? He just for sure passed because I was I was back in Houston, and this uh-huh. was this was in the era of everybody coming down, like two thousand four, something like that, two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Five. Mm-hmm. That's I'm gonna right. say five because mm-hmm. that's when we were when they we were did the, on stuff already then. Yeah, and they did the um the what I don't remember what that show was called, but it was kind of like a streets this that, and we were mm-hmm. like here we're in Houston, mm-hmm, right, right, you know, and it was the day that it was actually the same exact day that Dizzy Rascal was on Damage Control, oh, so it was a five, okay. yeah, because was he there? No, Dizzy performed that night, mm-hmm. where or the next night, Dizzy performed at the Engine Room the next night. Wow, but he was already in oh. town. He did stuff with the Grit Boys in the studio. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And have you ever heard stuff. that? Has it come it out? It was on Grip Boy, a uh, Grip Boy's mix, yes. Wow, that's and cool. he put he made a mixtape that had one of those on there too. Grit, Grit Boys don't get enough credit. No, not that's, at that's all. a great group, the greatest. Yeah, They're so my yeah. little brothers, man, I They're love those so guys. Good. Yeah, but uh, but I was like, MTV, I was so mad. Um, I was overly mad about this because they were like, "Yeah, we're coming down to Damage Control too," because I set them up with all their shit uh-huh. in Houston. And part of the thing was they were like, it wasn't like the deal, but they were like, yeah, we'll be at the station tonight too. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did all this stuff. And um, they were like, yeah, Sway's tired or something. We're not going to be able to make it to the station. And I was like, yo, for real? We just did all this stuff. And the one, you know, now you're not coming down to this. Mm-hmm. Fine, it is what it is. But I'm like, yo, y'all missed. Dizzy Rascal and the Grit Boys and all them freestyling in here. Like, that was mo- that was a mm-hmm. moment, you know. Man, imagine that. It wouldn't have fit on that show necessarily, but I was like, man, I wish y'all would have come down. Just to get that on film. Yeah. Yeah. So. This wasn't in the era when we had mobile phones we could shoot video hell on. Hell no. No. Or, or that anybody would even have a camera. I had my Nikon. I have photos. I have my Nikon uh-huh. D70. Yeah, but that's different than them. I have lots of photos, yeah. no videos. Did it, But you recorded the audio? Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you got that? I have everything. Oh, that's cool. I ripped that off the tape. Awesome. It's online. Yeah. You got a lot I'm, of those shows? You, you, the I have every single show ever. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Gray tapes. Good for you, man. No, gray tapes until the the technology advanced. We were started recording them digitally uh-huh. for some of it, but. That's so cool. The gotta, early shows, you, I stopped at Walgreens on um, Love It and, uh-huh. and Montrose yeah. on the way to the show every time, bought two gray tapes, mm-hmm. and that was that. Wow. Two 90 minute Maxell XL twos. Uh huh. I live so I lived right over by there in that yeah. era too. Yeah, I have boxes of those. Um and I'm the worst. Like I remember I don't I think you were asking me for like some something hawk interview or something, like and I was like, I don't know where that is. Like mm-hmm. and those tapes are worse because I just would do the show, but it would just be like KBFT damage control January tenth, two thousand. It was Big whatever. Mo. So Big Mo came on the show and did the interview, you mean? Uh, no, no. Well, what you were the big mo the, that would have been the one I did for Murder Dog, probably. Oh, yeah. But um, I don't know where all I don't know what they they exist on a hard drive somewhere. Um, they have to, I suppose, but yeah. don't know where. And I'm the worst at that. But so and uh, I have so many damage control tapes that are just ne- the damage control the date. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, right. No notes of who was on no, there. We'd have anything. to listen to the whole thing to yeah. figure out what that was. <laughs> but those yeah. days, yeah. R.I.P.'s in. My God. You know, mm-hmm. that stuff was crazy. Yeah. But uh, regarding the book, like, 
I know from just talking to people casually about screw and getting people, you know, knowing some of the people in the book, some of the people, just you know, a lot of people in the Houston community. Not, I don't want to say how many conflicting stories were because you can't, you know, not, I don't need a number, but like when you were, how many times were you like, uh, oh. so I heard this story totally different from you and this and that. Like, cause I feel yeah. like there's with history in general, everybody's mm-hmm. got their own, you know, it's all subjective, but like with screw, yeah, man, there's too many yeah, there's fucking a, voices in this sometimes. There was <laughs> yeah. definitely, there was definitely a lot of, um, you know, you didn't see screw and not see me. You mm-hmm. know, I heard that from many, many people, but you know, that's a, Pretty pretty big pack of people to be traveling Dude, around together. Can I say time. I don't I hate to say things like this. This is weird. Like sometimes people tell people are like, Oh Matt, you're all humble and all this. I'm like, I'm humble, but I'm kinda humble because I've been around a lot of not humble Houston ass motherfuckers <laughs> in my life and they look so stupid. They're like, Yeah, man, no screw shit. <laughs> Man, you want to about oh, don't talk to them. I'll tell you. I'm gonna tell you the real. Yeah, but you know, like you, but day. you figure it out. You know, you, think, no. you know the thing is, you take like, your time. You take your time, and you make sure that somebody's telling you like a what. What's the purpose of the story? Mm-hmm. You know, the the stories that I put in the book are the ones that tell you something about Screw. Mm-hmm. You know that that you know not just their relationship to Screw, but you know maybe right. You know, in the yeah, if, sure, if it's no. relevant to the story, you know, then that there's some element of their relationship their friendship will come out like you know psk 13 talking about when he'd see him and you know they wouldn't wouldn't talk about music and screw would always hand him his cup you know that kind of little little thing like it mm. tells you something about screw it also tells you something about his relationship with 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 screw you know but um yeah yeah you know, but both of them so i tried to find those kinds of stories you know where yep. like and so that that way i don't have to really hand ring over like the stuff that you know you might have you know conflicting versions of or you know right. too too many stories you know too many cooks trying to stir one element of his life you know man you know you actually just i don't know how to say this either kind of opened my mind to what you know to this book after because i've been reading it and i'm like but like i said I, the, the stuff about it when he was a small child when he was a kid mm-hmm. those stories that start off the book blew my mind you know to have like that in that, you know, like people who really came with like history stuff you don't even think about. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, when like you talk about when PSK thirteen was obviously way later and all this, but like mm-hmm. I I you basically gave away the book a little bit right there. Like it's a very personal story. Like it's not just and it's definitely not an academic book. No, 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 no. It's that's what I like. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what I like. That's you you kinda like what you just said kinda made me realize why I do like the book and I'm not hating. It's a community book. Yes. Like it's, it's meant to be. That's Cause I will what, hate on some music books. Yeah. But like you've, you've never seen a book with that format. No. You know, like what the, the, the narrative um, biography mm-hmm. and the oral history enmeshed right inside of it, you know, because that way I can quote everybody at length, you know, they can really finish a thought and they can tell you something about themselves mm-hmm. just by the way that they tell a story or they're, like I said, they're talking about their relationship with screw. So I don't have to put like the braggadocious stuff in there. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fit. Who That's gives a great. Fuck? Yeah. So that That's way. That's right. You, you summed it up right there. Yeah. So that it doesn't, you know, you don't have to put that kind of stuff in there. It doesn't matter. Of course, there's plenty of stuff I got told that I didn't put in the book, you know. So because there's some stuff that's like it's just 
too out there. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what? I don't feel like it lines up with anything else. It's not to say that I'm going to say in the book that this isn't true, but there's some stuff you just leave out. Cause you're like, I just don't know about that. You know? Thank you for that. Yeah. Because I don't know about university of Texas press necessarily, but editors hate that. Editors hate long quotes and hate. Yeah. But you know, no, you, that that's great. You it know, worked but, out. But the thing is that like, that's, it's, it, you know, worked out because I took a long time to develop yeah, it. Exactly. Because I worked for years fucking with the fonts and fucking with the arrangement of the text of like, okay, well, how do I want to do this? Okay. So I have an oral history piece, right? So do I put the name out to the side like we did in Houston rap and then have like a block of text that's not in quotes? No, it doesn't work. It takes up too much room. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want, I want to pack a lot of information in, into the book. So how do I do it? You know, well, you know, I need to enmesh these two together so mm-hmm. that I don't have to do any kind of like, I don't have to put a box around it or like a grayed out background or like put it in a different font or like, you know, um, right. um, what's the word I'm looking at? Like indented over or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, how do I do this to where I can take up the maximum real estate? And it doesn't suck to read because you're not jumping, you know, your eyes don't have to adjust between like different stuff. Like, oh, we want you, okay, I'll put this name in bold. And then I'll put, you know, quotation marks around what they're saying. And that way I can quote them at length. And it becomes an oral history that I, I drive a lot more than I do in the ones that are just oral histories. But, you know, I let them, I let their voices, you know, the people I interviewed, the people who knew him, the people who were related to him, the people who worked with him um, and the, or were influenced by him. They tell the story. Yeah, man. And I mean, that's what I'm, that's dope because I think that's the biggest problem I have with a lot of music books. Mm-hmm. You didn't know Screw. No, I didn't know. I didn't know Screw. Mm-hmm. Like, like not at all like that. Not at all. You know, and like, but you really, really went in and got the real people. Yeah. And they're the ones let them talk. Yeah. Let them talk, man. They deserve, like, they deserve to be to tell, to when be able I, to tell a story. What I just said a few minutes ago about is your book is not academic. Like, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I really can't finish a super oh. academic music oh. book. When it's much. about somebody like I've, yeah. I've, it drives me crazy. Bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. It's bullshit. Like, I mean, what's better than, than the stories being told by the people who knew him? Yeah. You know, like they're the ones, they're the ones fucking knew him. You know, who can tell a better story about him than them? You know? Yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, it's my job to kind of figure out how these all fit into, you know, something that sort of explains his life, you know? But they, you know, they're, exactly. they're personal anecdotes and stories that, that, you know, hopefully, you know, together paint that picture. And it's dope because like a hater like me on certain <laughs> books can't deny you. You can't like you put together something that's real. Like that's them. They tell the story like Houston rap tapes. There's like, uh, I wouldn't really want to read someone's straight up book about Houston to be honest. Like mm-hmm. I don't think I could do it. I would go me personally, I would pick it apart mm-hmm. like a nut. But there's nothing to deny about it. You went in the streets, talked to the people and let them tell the story. Yeah. Well um but in this I, one I, there was a lot more of your voice too. Yeah, because I had there was space there was no I had to connect that. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I needed to give some context. Because you know oral his you know oral history form is limited. If yep. like in Houston rap, 
I only quote from my interviews, mm-hmm. right? And in Houston Rap Tapes, same deal. I only quote from my interviews. But in this book, I get to quote from your interviews. Yep. I get to quote from Dacob Bray's interviews. I get to Man. quote from uh, Jason Culberson's email uh, uh, interviews. Um, who else? Dacob Bray is Felisa Johnson, who I re- mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And she does not get enough credit. I actually told Donnie Houston, and I told her too. I don't know if there was probably no follow-up, but I was like, you need to interview her. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed her for the book and, and quoted her. Her she interviewed Screw. She went to the she, she went to the house and she sat down with him and and I interviewed that her whole about, murder dog that had like C Note and Hawk and, and them on the cover. That was yeah. her interviews. All, oh, she did all that of was, them. Yeah, she yeah. was uh-huh. murder dog before me. Uh huh. Straight up. Yeah. Sister, knew, sister of DJ Ben Hameen. Ben Hameen for mm-hmm. sure. I met uh, Felicia in. The latest 93, because she even was in New York. She visited uh-huh. New York and was hanging out with us at the house in 94. Around, like, around the time that uh, she worked with Fisu. Fuck yeah. With uh, Dr. Teeth. She uh, was the I first wrote all, person. I wrote all of that into the book. She was yeah. the first person to tell me about ESG. Oh, yeah? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. For real. A lot of work. She's got a lot of work collectively out there all over the place. Yeah, yeah. man. And yeah. the murder dog was the perfect mm-hmm. um outlet for her and for Houston for so, like, yeah like look at you look at this and look how blessed are we yep. that murder dog published that stuff yeah that you had somewhere that you could do that and so she would be compelled to go interview him yep. because she had murder dog to publish it in you know and like so yeah how lucky are we to have those he, he only did a few interviews you know a, f- a few is stretching it a, a few he did, he did a handful literally a handful, you know like, he, he did yeah. The, yeah he just did a few so and you know the murder dog ones are some of the longest I mean, ones. I'm sorry, but the cover, like, I, I don't think I've seen this exact picture, but like, it's from the se- session that I've seen, you know, like mm-hmm. there's not many pictures. No, there's not a whole lot of pictures. I chose the cover photo because, um, number one, it shows the wood room. Yep. It shows his hands at work. Um, he didn't like the camera, so he never really posed for a photo anyway, mm-hmm. barely, you know, yep. he didn't like getting, having his photo taken, but this one he's working and you can see the wood room, but also like the the reason I chose this photo is because if you were walking through that house and you took a left into that room from the hallway, mm-hmm. that's that's exactly what you saw. You saw a screw standing there like that. Yeah. So I, I wanted it to be something that like people who knew him. Who took the photo? Ben Tecumseh at, de Soto. Ben de Soto. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Who I, I knew, knew from that. back yeah. whenever I worked at the Houston Chronicle. Yeah. Yeah. He was shooting for them. That's Ava. We're, we, these things always happen. <laughs> um, man, yeah, Ben DeSoto, one of the few who really oh, did yeah. proper he, early session of Screw. Yeah, yeah, he was a photo, photographed the early Houston punk scene mm-hmm. and um, um, advocate uh, for homelessness. Yep, you know, and um, and and took the only real professional photos of DJ Screw. Man, yeah, and that session, and from that's from '95. Yeah, witness if you're listening to this. Um, I missed the 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 uh, premiere of the film on Ben DeSoto. I'm gonna I still need you to send me that link. You told me you're gonna send me a link a long time ago to just watch it, man. Uh, it's great. I still need it. No, I know, and, and I don't even remember. I wrote the I wrote the copy for the the program for that. Man, I don't remember uh-huh. what happened that night. I had full on plans of going to mm-hmm. Houston, and it just didn't happen. It just wasn't possible. Yeah, Ben's but, a real uh, deal. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're fortunate to have those photos. Yeah, and that's, ooh, I think about the, that era, like how much else has gone undocumented. Mm-hmm. My God. Yeah. 
I think the Sex Fiends are actually playing South by Southwest, though. This year? <laughs> I saw them on something recently, and I was just like, what? Because Tiny <laughs> and them, I went to a an audio and video recording school with, with Tiny. Mm-hmm. and that, So that was, that was around that. It was right before DJ Scroot, like mm-hmm. right around that time. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, no, people don't know. So thank you so much, man. Thank you for doing what you do and what you've done, man. Because it's like, I did what I did, like, out of necessity. Like, there was like, oh, shit, man, nothing's, it's, we got to do it. Mm-hmm. No, they're not doing it. We got to do it. Yeah. You know, the rate. We're, we're, we're all lucky for each successive generation. Each exactly. one that precedes us. I'm exactly. lucky. I'm lucky that you did those interviews. I'm lucky you interviewed Big Mo. And I'm lucky you interviewed Screw's mom and yeah. dad. You know, how amazing is that? Like, and you didn't know she was going to, you know, next year she wouldn't be here. I know. And she's no. an important part of the book. It's yeah. really, really important that I told her story. Yep. You know, that, that I got to tell her story because she was so important to Screw and, yeah. you know, so important to Michelle. And, and now we got this Kanye documentary that shows how important his mom was and how some hemp C's mom was, how important she was to him and how like yeah. it's so incredible. Yeah. The uh, the Mama Screw interview, though, I remember vividly. I don't remember the, if she said four or five, but she's like, Screw already had like four or five heart attacks mm-hmm. or something before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I quote that's I quoted it in there. Yeah. Yeah, where she was talking about that when he's, um, yeah, may, maybe not a heart attack, maybe a cardiac, yeah. maybe a cardiac event of some kind. Some people, you know, you know, talk about seizures too. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one sec. The uh, some that people should talk about, and I haven't gotten to the end of the book yet, mm-hmm. so I'm not. I don't. I don't know exactly. But um, talking to people around that time when I talked to his mom, you know. I'm sure drugs played a role in his death and all this or whatever, but no doubt yeah. the story is like for his lack of sleep, his work ethic and all this, but he also ate like Timmy Chan's and stuff like that. All the time he ate fried chicken, specifically hearts. Every, yeah. But like every day chicken he, hearts. So no, no hearts, hearts, chicken. Oh, hearts. Chicken. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, no, yeah, but yeah. people told me they're like, man, he ate fried chicken every day. Like every and day. I asked, sir, I'd, I'd ask other people like, Hey, did he really eat chicken? Like all the time? They're like every day. So many people said exactly. that yeah, I've every that. day. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're doing that. You're not sleeping. Um, he had an enlarged heart. Yeah. Um, you know, so that smoke Sherm, have some some amount of codeine, promethazine in your mm-hmm. system at any given time. What's going to happen? You know? Yeah. But, yeah. I, you know, I really that that not sleeping stuff. That's big. That's a big part of that. It's a big deal. That that'll fuck you up. That's why I try to get, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day. <laughs> I'm the opposite. No. Yeah, yeah. Man. You got to get it in. For real. So the book is coming out in May. Uh, the book says May 17th, 2022. May 17th. Mm-hmm. One day before my first oldest daughter turns 20. She just walked in the door and interrupted the whole mm-hmm. podcast. But that's why I say it. And she's wearing my original she didn't, Misfits she didn't shirt right now. She could have interrupted, but she didn't interrupt. No, she didn't. No, no, no. Just you know, just some extra sounds in the background. John Peel said life has service noise. That's true. Yeah, and uh, it does. We we just let it go. Like, like when the Babu interview when the cat's going ballistic, people are. We may get letters. We might get PETA. We might mm-hmm. be tripping like we're abusing a cat, but it's just in the room. We just put it in the room. 
her in Kat, the room. Cat wants to be a part of it too. Amen. But look at uh, DC Ava's shirt. That's an original. That Glenn Danzig made that shirt. Oh yeah. No, that's right. an original uh, Misfits shirt. Anyways, later, not in the Misfits era, but it was still mm-hmm. when he was still making shirts. Anyways, mm-hmm. Plan Nine. Everything comes together full circle, and I appreciate you coming over here, man. The end of the uh, South by Southwest event. Any South by Southwest memories this year? Did that, tell me about the panel, actually, because oh, right, yeah, yeah. I said I wasn't going to ask you. You know, I wasn't going to say, oh, why wasn't ESG here? But I saw the pictures, and... Oh, yeah. Pl- plenty of drama. Um, Bro. ESG canceled the night before. Um, you know, it, it it was out of his control, so I don't blame him. You know, it's and I'll just leave it at that. It was a family issue. So... Um, he he couldn't do it and he canceled the night before and so i knew that og ron c was in town yep. for for south by southwest and so i texted him and i interviewed him a few years ago mm-hmm. I, I put him in the yeah um, i saw there watts and ron c are in the book uh-huh yeah and um yeah yeah but i interviewed him for the second edition of uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah you did yeah, yeah yeah he was in he's the, the new this the, yep. the photo book yeah i interviewed him for that um and then I texted him. I was like, I think I still owe you a book, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, would you be interested in doing this? And he said, sure. Yeah. yeah no, so it was always... great, man. He, he saved the day. I told him afterwards, like, you're a fucking lifesaver, man. Yeah. Because he really saved it because the dynamic that we got between those three was so great because Michelle didn't know him. Mm-hmm. They'd never met, you know, they knew who each other were, but they'd never met. Um, but she and Wreck are very close mm-hmm. and, and Wreck, and Ron C have known each other for a long time. So, um, well, if you remember the thing in U of H when we did that, the already conference mm-hmm. and you had your panel and I had mine, mine was the legacy of screw. Mm-hmm. So it made sense to have OG Ron C on there. Yeah. Someone who did slow down mixes and, afterwards. And he was great on that. Yeah, He was really, yeah. he was great, but a, a bunch of motherfuckers walked out. Oh, when yeah? they announced him, when he came out, a bunch of screw fa- friends and fa- family like walked out of the back. And I, I was like, that was 10 I years s- ago, though. No, I know. I know. I'm you saying know? I'm saying, yeah. but I'm like, I, I don't uh, think people would do that now. Not now. Not at South by yeah. either. But, you know, but I was like, oh, that, I, it just brought back. I'm not saying yeah. anything, but it brought back that memory when yeah. I saw the picture. Yeah. And I was like, where's ESG? And oh, God, OG Ron C was a thing. I remember when we had him on the panel. And, uh-huh. like, I'd looked out and I was just watching That's people crazy. filing out of the back. Yeah, but you, you know, were up he, front. Yeah, yeah. But he does, um, you know, he does so much to preserve um, the legacy of DJ Screw in the sense that, like, Dude. you know, he's a really high profile DJ doing a lot of uh, mixes of albums and he straight up does not call it, he doesn't even call it slowed and chopped, chopped, not slop. Exactly. You know? Well, no disrespect to anyone, but maybe slowed down music, screw music, whatever you want to say, wouldn't be as big without the fuck action series. That shit was big. You know, the thing is, yeah, yeah, for sure. Later. And I think I think that 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 all of it builds on that legacy. You know, it builds on legacy for sure. I wrote like, about they, that. they kept yeah. it alive. Like people will talk about, oh, we don't fuck with this, we don't do that. But eh, yeah, but, if, but, if they didn't do yeah. that, where would it be too? You know, like there's. Let's see, where are you in this chapter ten? Yeah, you're not on chapter 10 yet. In chapter 10, I write about that. I write about how, like, it becomes an art form. And, like, it becomes an art form. I'd say, you know, okay, so, like, in, so in this day and age, right? Okay, what, what out there is chopped and screwed, screwed, or, um, you know, or screw tape? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Nothing is. Nothing, not in the last 22 years. Nothing, no. You know, chopped and screwed died in 2000. 
Yeah. You know, with DJ Screw, the only one to ever screw something is him. You know, yeah. he says that in the book. And, you know, that's the way that all the people who keep his legacy alive, who knew him, that's what they maintain. So, you know, what else can you say about that? You know, the other thing is that, like, when people say screw music or this is screwed, it is an homage to screw. Yes. Listen. That has legs. You know, that say that in the book. I say that has legs because that's the way it's really been. But if you want to know how it is for real, in accordance to the people who created all of this, DJ Screw and the Screwed Up Click, it's only screwed if he touched it. I agree with that because only because the family says that. Exactly. The like family the, the and real all. Real people say and, that, and but I don't click. agree with it. You don't agree with it? Yeah, yeah. But because you're let, like, let because it be like a genre. Screwed. Let yeah. it be the genre. That, yeah. that helps the genre mean. live. Like, I know what you mean. Yeah. I totally know what they mean, yeah. and I respect it. Yeah. That's fine. It's not screwed if it's not done by DJ Screw. Yeah. Fine, if that's what you want. But yeah. the reality is, let it be a genre, man. Like, I know Let what it you just mean. be yeah. that. Like, give yeah. him, always give him the credit. The reality is it's both. It's both. You know, exactly. It's both. Yeah, it's yeah, both. Yeah. It really is both. And that's what I that's what I talk about whenever I say sometimes you can't totally square no. something up and you, you can't be necessarily the one to decide. You no. know. Exactly. So you know. when you say it's screwed, when it was actually done by screw, there's no mm-hmm. denying that's for sure. Yeah, he mm-hmm. screwed it. Yeah. But like I I'm not related to him. Mm-hmm. I don't know him. Right. So I can't take anything away from the ones who are. Mm-hmm. So fine. Don't call it screwed and chopped if it's not done by DJ Screw. But yeah, let's, if it wasn't for him, like that, that word kept it alive. It did. Mm-hmm. It totally, yeah. it, it was a part of keeping yeah. it alive. I think it all keeps it alive. And I think that's, all of that, it that, is that, a part. I think it every was. time a DJ does a slowed and chopped mix, it keeps it alive. Yeah, you know, and it's not ac- it's not necessarily accurate if they call it. You know, it's definitely what certainly was not that accurate. Shit called a, something in reverb, slowed and reverb. Slowed re- yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about that? That? <laughs> that I do not believe. I believe that is what happens when kids have computers. Yeah, yeah. it is what it is. I'm yeah, I don't think that it. really. You know, I'm like, not mad. Like, yeah. I've learned that a long That's time. That's a ago. very cheap way to go about chopping a song. <laughs> I learned yeah. it a long time ago, though. If you're not, not everyone is obsessed about this shit as we are right yeah well They're that's not. definitely true yeah yeah and i mean you can see it when i this is i related to uh regional m- magazines and papers at the record store mm-hmm. and flyers and things like yeah. you you and i i'm sure you did this going to the record store and when you were leaving you grabbed the flyers you grabbed the newspapers mm-hmm. you went yeah. home and you read all that shit yeah most people don't mm-hmm. and didn't yeah they just don't yeah. It's just how it is. It doesn't matter. Like, uh, is it is it good? Great. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to it. Yeah. You know. So that's yeah, man. I'm glad you you did cover. I'm sure you talk about that in the book because uh, it, that's always been a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. I'm I I have to understand and feel them the the family and the friends who were real close to them because mm-hmm. I'm not that. I have to just be like, hey, man, I respect it. That's great. Not great. It's actually not great. I do respect it, and it's great that they're so adamant to defend him in that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like it's so big. Let it be the genre, man. Yeah. Just let it be it that. Is. It's it really the is. Genre. It is yeah. screw music. Yeah. It just is, man. But yeah, out of respect, I understand that. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Well, you know the 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 book is heavy on family. Yeah. And look how much his sister's in the book. Yeah, you know, it's dedicated to her. 
you know, it's, it's so much about Michelle, you know, it's about her journey with him and it's about their mom. Dude, you know, I tried to make it as much about them as I could, as, as much of them as I could put in there. Because so what I've read so far, that's what I love. I'm like, because mm-hmm. who knew that? Who, who knows? Knew, all yeah. That? Who knows it better than them? Yep. You know, really like his relationship with them was so special. You know, the women in his life were really special. And so that and Nick and his relationship with Nikki, with his yep. longtime girlfriend, you know, I didn't get to interview her a whole lot of times. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would get like real hot flashes of like amazing interviews and then she'd kind of go silent for a long time. And I had to respect that. Yeah. You know, that yep. that was the dynamic, you know, and I never let it frustrate me. You know, there were times I'd be, be ghosted. And she knows that, you know, I'd be totally ghosted. Meet me here. OK. And then nobody, you know, call me at this time. They call, no pick up, you know. It happens, but that's the whole thing. You can't get frustrated. You have to respect it. And the same dynamic goes with family. Got to give them time to trust you. Yep. Got a time to build, and you have to earn that trust. You don't just build trust out of time. You earn it out of talking to people. And you know, I always say this in interviews, but like your your questions that you ask in an interview tell the the interview subject everything about you. You know exactly. I remember when you guys were first Learn. coming into it and coming down and, and meeting you know getting out there i mean what i've and we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up in a minute because really really long podcast drive me crazy and i don't want to be that but uh i remember when you guys came into the you know you were running around with like it came from k reno went on to like q boy and dopey and the mm-hmm. people like the real 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 beginnings of houston rap but somebody like a q boy who who knows who Q-Boy is, man? Like, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to diss the dude. He's the shit. But, mm-hmm. like, the streets knew yeah, yeah. in his streets. You yeah. know what I mean? There yeah, wasn't, yeah. like, this huge artist. But you were you made sure to make the time to find. You know, he was one of the real deals. It is what it is. You he know, has like, very real stories about yeah. real things that happened and in his life. In and, and he knows got, how to relate them, yeah. Y'all got into that world and really legitimately documented it. And... I don't. I don't want to say. A, not obsessed. That's a bad word. Like, you, you took it real serious. Like you went in like yeah. to the real folks, and that's what I always respected and was always. I knew you would. You know, like, it was dope. Well, I give that. I, I give that credit to Peter, because I really followed behind him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's five years younger than me, and he's in a different discipline. So he's he was not like a like it's not like a traditional mentor kind of thing, but. 100% man I was already writing I was getting out you know I was mm-hmm. a nightlife writer yeah. so I was going out and I was you know going out into places and having to be forward and all that but you know really I learned from him mm-hmm. the way that he went in with his camera and the respect that he showed to his subjects and the seriousness with which he took it and the space that he gave them at the same time while you're having this kind of intimate interaction of like taking a photo of somebody or interviewing them but still giving them some space you know mm-hmm. and and just going okay well you know, you don't make it necessarily transactional, but it's just right. like, you know, respecting like, hey, thank you for talking to me. You're a human being. You got your life going on, you know, mm-hmm. might not be easy stuff to talk about, you know. Yeah, I same. think that's amazing. Yeah. And he what started, you know, when we met, mm-hmm. he had, I guess it had just come out or it was around that it was just coming out that the Scandinavian, you know, black metal book. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. It was going to come like, out. It, his stuff was coming out, but yep, the book wasn't going to be out yeah. for a few years. Yeah, yeah. And but, I was like, but way it was on his way. Yeah. I was into that shit too, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, really?
league. Yeah, and he <laughs> That's took interesting. He, and you're from Houston. Yeah, he he took that seriously, and even seeing the absurdity in it, you know, the same thing with Houston rap. It's got its own mm-hmm. absurd element, you know, but you can still take it seriously, and both can be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for all you, all you've done and all you do. And I mean, DJ Screw Life and Slow Revolution coming out in May. The University of Texas Press by Lance Scott Walker, our guest today on Talk So Real with uh, myself, Madison Island. Man, it's so dope. Like, who DJ Screw never thought there would be a book written about him. Mm-hmm. He didn't think that. No. No fucking way. But he knew he was going to screw the world. No, that's what he I'm saying. He knew that. He knew he that. Wanted, well, he wanted to screw up the world, man. Yeah. Did he? I don't, I, I think, I don't think he knew that it would have gone as far as it went. Maybe. Who knew? He didn't know it'd be in a car commercial. <laughs> Not for a big car, a little car. <laughs> he didn't know that. He didn't know it'd be in like like a chewing gum jingle. Or, I don't know. I'm not making things up kind of, but like over the years in these two it'll, it'll get into everything. The slow down like everything we've heard, my God. Mm-hmm. So dope. Appreciate you, man. Is there anything you want to leave the people with contact wise or like um, you know, I have how to get the book. I have links at uh, djscrewbook.com. I have Screwbook. links. I have com. links. Links to there's there's links to signed copies. There's links to the publisher. There's links to uh, local and black owned bookstores, nice. independent bookstores, and I got the big you know I got the big ones there too. But they're at the end of the list. Nice. So if they want to order it, they can do that. That's yeah. dope. Mm-hmm. It'll be. I see the. I have the like advanced physical. It's going to be. Are you going to read the audio book? No. No, no. audio book. No audiobook. No. You're, it's not right. Like, think about it. Like, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. I, well, you have tapes of those interviews. That'd be hard, yeah, though. But That'd be no, real but hard. They, no. Nobody, no. they agreed to be interviewed for a book. You're right. For, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So, and you can't get the voice actors. It's just not right. You can slow so. it down. You can put all those tapes, do the whole thing, slow it down. <laughs> It'd be a process. That would be cool. The first gr- slowed down mm-hmm. book. There you go. Could you call it screwed if it's a, the DJ screw book? I don't know. That's on the next episode of Talk So Real. We're going to get into that with. No, I'm not talking about those people. Appreciate it, man, for real. Thanks for everything you've done, see. everything you do. Thank you, Lance, friend, for many years. And uh, shit, we need this for real. All right. If uh, you're out there listening, please tell a friend to tell a friend. Share it, subscribe, like it, whatever people do on the internet these days. I don't know. Make it an NFT and put me on the the list of the the blockchain thing where y'all get all those bitcoins or whatever you do. I don't know. Talk so realist on uh, the stupid social medias and uh, pushermania.com. You can check that out. You can hit me up at Matt, Matt at pushermania.com for now. And uh, again, thank you so much, Lance Scott Walker. Get the book when it comes out. Order it in advance so that these people know, you know, these, these publishers. There's going to be three, four, ten editions of this, man. For Let real. them know. 22 years later, still selling the taste. 22 years from now, they're still selling this book. I hope. We'll see. They got to. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, sir.